Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start in uh, verse 35 this morning. But uh, uh, before we, we jump into the text, I, I just want to begin this morning just kind of with a, a report, kind of a report um, about you all, about fellowship, and what happened this uh, Christmas season through just the different opportunities to serve others and to put the compassion of Jesus Christ on display. Um, this, this Thanksgiving season, about a couple of weeks or months ago, uh, one of our groups from uh, the youth, they, they went down to, uh, actually they went to West, and they went to West, and they, they helped. Uh, they helped with a widow in particular there and, and, and helped her straighten some things up. And it was just an awesome opportunity for those students to show Christ uh, to this widow and the love of Christ. Then as we progressed, we, we uh, had a time where we had Operation Christmas Child. If you don't remember, Oper- Operation Christmas Child is where we pack shoeboxes with different items so they're distributed around the world in order that we might, they might be used to deliver the gospel of Jesus Christ as well as they meet practical needs. Our church exceeded 450 boxes this year, which is awesome. There was actually one family who actually packed 150 of those boxes themselves, which I think is pretty amazing. Uh, and one of our youth actually had a birthday party where they packed shoe boxes. That's what they, he did, or they did for their birthday party. Then we had the angel tree. If you remember, angel tree is uh, where we, we give gifts for uh, those children who have a parent who is in, in prison. And through that ministry and opportunity, we served 44 children and 23 families. At an angel tree Christmas party, which we have, 20 children were able to attend along with 16 caregivers and guests. And then 15 of our people from the church helped work this this party. We also were able to, uh, after the party, deliver some, some of the gifts to those who couldn't attend. And 22 of our adults and children actually delivered those gifts to these different uh, families. It's awesome. It's, it's, it was an opportunity to show the compassion of Christ in action. Then last, uh, or actually a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, EMAC, which is the Stell Maxi Adventure Club. And uh, what we did is we had a Christmas party there, and uh, the Christmas story was given. And then there were over 100 boxes with gloves, stockings, hats, and scarves donated by you all that were able to be delivered to 55 children were able to open up these boxes. And then the rest of them, they're able to take and give away to someone else uh, that they knew. There was also 30 winter coats donated. And some of these coats were actually for adults. And so these children were really excited with the opportunity they could take a coat for their parents and take it back to them and give it to them as a a gift uh, in this housing project. We also had last week after church, we had uh, 13 Christmas food boxes that were packed and that were personally delivered to individuals uh, who were in need. Again, showing a practical way uh, to show the love of Christ and to deliver the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then uh, last Sunday, we also had the nursing home Christmas caroling. It's an opportunity to go and to just show some love and care to people who don't often get it. They went to the Jeffrey Place Nursing Home, and songs were sung. Uh, people were, they were entertained. They were talked to. They were loved on. Uh, some were also wrangled into almost dancing going on. I did not take part in that. Uh, but the gospel was presented as well. 
And then some of our youth on Christmas Eve went down to our brother's keeper, and while not everything worked out, uh, they were able to minister to some folks there, some homeless, and to encourage them and, and to love on them. Now, I tell you these things because I think it serves as an illustration to what we're going to talk about in Mark chapter 1 today. And by those acts of kindness and many of the other acts that I have no idea about that you just do as the Lord leads you in your life and wherever you're at, it's through those loving acts, those acts of compassion, that you and I have an opportunity to put the heart of God on display to a watching world. That you and I have an opportunity as we minister and put the compassion of Christ on display, we build a platform where we can share the most important message with them, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what you do through those acts of kindness and love. And I thank you for those who are doing those. We've been in a series called, Do You See What I See? And it's looking at the, seeing the heart of God as we look at the coming of Christ. And see, the reality is, is that when, if we want to know what the heart of God is like, what God's heart is, how does he feel, what does he think, how does he act, we just need to go to the gospel. We need to look at the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and we can hear and we can see and we can begin to feel what Jesus was like and what God, the Father, is like. Because Scripture tells us in John chapter 1 that he, that is Christ, uh, interprets or shows us or explains to us the God, God. That is because he is God. He's God in human flesh. He explains God to us. Hebrews tells us that Christ is the exact representation of the nature of God. So if we want to know what God is like, what his nature is like, we look to Christ. And so that's what we want to do this morning. We want to look at the God-man, Jesus Christ, in the Gospel of Mark and learn a little bit more about the heart of God. So if you would, look with me to Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And just by way of just to bring you up to speed and to give you the background of what is happening, what is occurring here in the Gospel of Mark, <clears throat> the verses preceding this, we find that it was the Sabbath but for Jesus, this Sabbath was really anything but rest. Actually, as we'll see, as I'll describe to you, Jesus had a very busy Sabbath day. First thing we find is that Jesus is in the synagogue there in Capernaum, and he's teaching. And not teaching just like any other rabbi, but he is teaching as one who has authority. They, they, they listen to him and say, there's something different about this rabbi. There's something different about this teacher. Then in the midst of him teaching there in the synagogue in Capernaum, he also, he, he reaches out and he casts out a demon who was in, uh, who has possessed a man. Well, then as, as uh, Sabbath comes to an end, it comes to the evening, we hear that as he goes, he goes to the, the house of uh, Simon Peter, actually before Sabbath ended, he goes to the house of Simon Peter and there is Simon's mother-in-law and she has a fever. And what does Jesus do? He, he lays his hand on her and he, he removes the fever from her and he heals her. Then as the Sabbath ends, word gets out. And people begin to just show up at Simon Peter's house on the door. And they're waiting. And what Jesus does is he shows compassion to them and he validates the person and his message. And he begins to heal people of various diseases. And he delivers people of, of demon possession as well. And then we find in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, no doubt worn out from the day before, Mark 1, verse 35 says this, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. 
Constantly, as you go through the gospel of Jesus and you watch his life, you constantly find him going away to secluded places and getting alone with the Father and praying. This, this verse here in and of itself could be a message, but it says something to us. Even though he was God, here he is, he's communing with the Father. That is because from all eternity, within the Godhead, that is, we believe in one God who's one in essence, he's three in persons, they've always had perfect community with each other. They've always been in fellowship and communion with each other. And here he is, he's taking on flesh, and in, in this flesh, he is, he is communing with God. We also know from Christ's life that he was always uh, under the will of the Father, always submitting to the will of the Father and dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit. So we find him here praying and spending time alone in prayer after a very busy day before, as we'll see a busy day to come. And he said to them, or actually Simon and his companions searched for him. That is there, they woke up and like, where is he? Where's he at? I mean... There's, there's, he's in demand here because look what he says. And he found him. And he said to him, hey, everyone is looking for you. Matter of fact, the, the companion gospel, Luke, says that the, the people there did not want to let him go. They didn't want him to leave Capernaum. So Jesus was in demand. No doubt they were wanting more miracles, more healings, those things that take place. And he said to them, let us go somewhere else. So here they are. They're wanting to pull him back. And he's saying, well, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby. And then notice what he says here, so that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. That is what I came for. This is important in light of what we're going to talk about the rest of this, this message here. Because the reality is that uh, Jesus' healings were, were important and they were a, a primary thrust uh, of what he did because it validated his message and it validated his identity of who he was but a major part of what he came to do was to proclaim the good news. And what, what did he preach? Well, if we look at Mark chapter 1, verse 14, we have it up here for you. It says this in Mark 14. It says, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. That is, he is the kingdom of God is at hand because the king is present. And I believe that Jesus was offering a, a literal kingdom, and someday he will bring about a literal kingdom, but there's a, a spiritual kingdom that he is offering as well. And so he goes on to tell them, hey, how do, how do I enter into this spiritual kingdom? How do I enter in under uh, Christ's lordship and reign? And he says this here, repent and believe in the gospel. That was his message. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. It is, our message of the gospel includes repentance. Includes the idea that, hey, you need to turn from your sin. You need to turn from whatever else you were trusting in for your salvation. The Jews at that time often trusted in the reality that they were Jews to save them. And Jesus say, hey, repent of that. Hey, the Messiah is here. I'm the one that you need to put your faith and your trust in. That's what you need to believe in. And throughout the rest of the gospel, he will begin to unfold the rest of, of what it is throughout Mark. He will show them that I came to die, be, to be buried and rose again. And that's the gospel. I came to save you from your sins. And he says, you must repent and believe in this message. Repentance and belief are the same side of two coins or, or same side of one coin. That is, there's an essence in order for someone to truly put, turn, put their faith and trust. They have to change their mind about what they once saw about sin and what they once trusted in. They have to repent and turn away from that and put their faith and their trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ 
which then will evidence this repentance and belief in a life of changed actions. That's the message. You say, well, why are you, why are you belaboring this right now? The, the reason is, is we're going to talk about compassion and acts of service. But the reality is, is this. Our existence in doing those things, the reason for doing those things is not to merely change or, or make society better. We, we, we want to do that. We want to be a part of that. We want to help people have better lives. But it, it does them no good if the gospel of Jesus Christ is not as broad as well. What does it do it good for someone to have a better life but have an eternity separated from God? And so as we bring acts of kindness, as we do these things that we did over this holiday season, or as you do throughout the year, at the same time, we want to show them the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we also want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of repent and believe in the personal work of Jesus Christ. That's essential because it's essential to Jesus Christ and what he came to do. Now, <clears throat> as you notice in verse 39 of Mark 1, and he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. So he was preaching and he was ministering hands-on. But then in verse 40, it's kind of like Jesus kind of, or the writer of Mark kind of takes a microscope and says, here, I'm going I'm to go in real tight on one of these healings here. I want to show you close up what, what was going on and what Jesus was feeling, what he was thinking. And so verse 40 says this, And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, when we read this, he doesn't say much about a leper. And those who have read this, this gospel the first time, the readers, they, they, well, they would have heard leper. They would have not needed much description. They would have known. They would have begun to, to see and to reminisce on some of the, the occasions where they saw lepers. But leprosy was a dreaded disease. And sometimes we don't fully grasp it. But in order to help us to grasp what this was like, to grasp what Jesus saw, what those around him began to see and to feel and to think, let me, let me describe to you how it was described to me in a book called Unclean, Unclean. It says this, leprosy generally begins with pain in certain areas of the body. Numbness follows. As a matter of fact, they discovered later that really numbness is a, it, it leaves them without this, this feeling in their hands, and that's really what does a lot of destruction. Because there, there's been stories of how uh, people discover they are leprosy because, had leprosy because they had put their hands or their feet in scalding water and they were burned by it because they just couldn't feel it. Or I, I read the story of one man who uh, had researched this and he had worked with lepers. And um, he tells the story of how one, he was trying to open this door and he couldn't open it. But then one of the lepers came up and he says, well, I'm going to open it. And he just grabbed it real tight and he twisted it and the door opened and the man was amazed. And then he looked down and he saw blood just dripping from this man's hand. And what he had discovered is he had turned so hard because he had no feeling in his hands, it didn't tell him when to stop when the friction was too much. That's what leprosy did. It left him with those wounds. The, the, the author here says, Soon the skin in such spots loses its original color. It gets to be thick and glossy and scaly. Actually, the word lepros in Greek for leper means scaly. As the sickness progresses, the thickened spots become dirty sores and ulcers due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eyes and the ears, begin to bunch with deep furrows between the swellings. <clears throat> so that the face of the afflicted individual begins to resemble that of a lion, 
Fingers drop off or are absorbed. Toes are affected similarly. Eyebrows and eyelashes drop out. By this time, no one can see the person in this pitiable condition. They, 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 I mean, they, can, they see that he's a leper. By a touch of the finger, one can also feel it. One can even smell it, for the leper emits a very unpleasant odor. Moreover, in view of the fact that the disease-producing agent frequently attacks the larynx, the leper's voice acquires a grating quality. His throat becomes hoarse, and, and now you can not only see, feel, and smell the leper, but you can hear his rasping voice. And if you stay with him for some time, you can even imagine a peculiar taste in your mouth, probably due to the odor. I want you to put yourself in this situation, what this man felt was going through. And not only was it physical, but as Leviticus tells us, um, in order to keep them separated from uh, and to keep others safe from getting this, guidelines were given that uh, these, these individuals would have to go around and they would have to wear torn clothes to kind of signify uh, that they were, they were lepers and they would have to go and wherever they went, they, they had to yell out, unclean, unclean. And for the most part, they, had to, they were alone. They had to stay outside the camp. I mean, can you imagine what it felt like? The humiliation and the isolation, unable to move freely throughout society, feeling ostracized, knowing that you know, everyone who comes around you are fearing they might get it from you, or having to always look disheveled and Wherever you go, having to yell, unclean, unclean. I mean, just imagine for a minute that when you went to Walmart or you went to H-E-B to get food, that before you ever entered in, you had to yell out, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine the despair? Can you, can you imagine and can you, can you feel the worthlessness that they, they felt? So our leper comes to Jesus desperate for cleansing. Now, this was a very rather bold move for this leper to come to Jesus, who was a rabbi. Remember, some of the reading that I did, some of the, the attitudes of the rabbis of that day, they, they had taken steps to avoid being ritually unclean and, and unclean physically. They, they take them to absurd measures. As a matter of fact, here's what some of the rabbis had written. One rabbi said, Upwind, a leper can come within six feet of a person. Downwind, 150 feet. Another said, when I see lepers, I, I throw stones at them lest they come near me. Another said, I would not so much as eat an egg that was purchased on a street where a leper had walked. That's your religious leaders. But he comes to Jesus. I wonder why. Why did he come to Jesus in this way? Perhaps... He had heard about Jesus. He had heard about all the miracles. Maybe he had heard about his authoritative teaching. Perhaps maybe from a distance. On a hill far away, he, he had heard Jesus from a distance or seen him healing. Or perhaps, as I read in one commentary, in some synagogues, the lepers could come if a barrier had been erected ahead of time that would keep them away from other people. Perhaps in that synagogue in Capernaum, he, he heard Jesus speak. He saw Jesus uh, heal or deliver that man with an unclean spirit. And so he comes to him. Verse 40 says this, beseeching him or, or begging him in humility and falling on his knees before him. The leper comes. He's, he's, he's prostrating himself before him. Matthew says or, that he actually, they used a word for worship. Perhaps he was worshiping because both Luke and Matthew say that he called him Lord as he came. 
So when he came, he saw that this is not just any rabbi. This is someone different. This is, this is the Lord. And look what he is saying to him. He comes to him in faith. He says, if you are willing, and again, that's not, that's not a question of doubt, but it's one of Jesus' willingness to heal him. Notice, it's, he didn't come in an attitude of presumption. That, hey, you heal this guy, you owe it to me. He didn't, he didn't come in that way. He didn't presume on the Lord's mercy. But instead, he came in humility, in faith. And he says this, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Or literally, you have the power to make me clean. I'm asking you to. I believe you can. But it's your prerogative, he's saying. It's humility. And look how Jesus responds. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. With a word and with a touch, he was healed. Imagine the situation. Imagine how amazing that must have been to to see that. The leprosy goes away immediately. To see a deformed man, see, see a man who was shriveled and scaly and sore-covered and in desperate situations, suddenly he stands upright. His, his arms become perfect and his legs and his face become smooth and perhaps his hair is restored and his voice becomes normal and his eyes bright. Now this validated who Jesus was and his message, but there's something more for us to see in here because when you look back in the text, what was it that moved him to heal him? What was it? What does the text say? Talk to me. It's compassion. He was moved by compassion for this man. He felt something. Sometimes we get this picture of Jesus, especially if you watch those old classic black and white movies of Jesus, you know, where he likes all looks all pale white and he just kind of walks around like this all the time and, you know, touches people, says something, and he's just real this way. It's not Jesus. He felt. Right, this, this word for compassion is, is, is an interesting word here. It's uh, the most common verb used in the, New, the Greek New Testament for compassion. It's the word splachnismai. Can you say that? I can't say it either because I know Roy is going to be like, hey, you didn't say it right. He's got his Greek Bible open right now. The verb is used two times in Jesus' parables to refer to God's compassion for sinners, forgiving them sinners and saving sinners. It's used nine times of Jesus as his primary motive to heal people. Now, as you study this word, it's interesting because the origination of the word, uh, it was originally used or referred to the inner parts of a man the heart, the liver, and, and so on. And it became common to use it of the lower parts of the abdomen, the, the intestines, and, and especially the womb. That's what it was used of. It, it was kind of akin to how we say, man, he's really got guts, or man, that took guts. We, we kind of use it that way to refer to courage. In their way, they were referring to compassion. It's, it's, it's the idea, it, they believe the word this reason is used is because when you really have compassion, when you're moved by someone, you feel it. 
You feel it sometimes. Maybe it's a, a cringe of pain or maybe it's just a, a sense of tingling or whatever it is. You, when you see someone who's in a dire situation and you're moved by him, it, you, you feel it in your guts. And that's what Jesus did here. I think it's a graphic word for us to understand that our Lord and our Savior is not just some distant God, not just managing things, sovereign over things, but he interacts with us and he feels our pain. He feels our hurts. Matter of fact, in Mark chapter uh, 7, verses 33 through 40, 34, later Jesus will heal, heal a deaf and mute man. And I want you to look at the text up here and what, what happens. Because verse 33 says this, Jesus took him aside, that is the deaf and mute man, from the crowd by himself. And he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with saliva. You're like, why is he doing that? I think because the man is deaf and mute. And this is one way for him to to actually communicate to him. So he, he touches him. And then looking up to heaven, notice what he does with a deep sigh. With a deep sigh, he said to him, Epitha, that is, be opened. Some have called this deep sigh the breath of compassion. Remember this word, the Greek word used here for, for uh, a deep sigh has to do with the, the idea of a, uh, the idea of just, just this, this, this feeling that he's having here. It's, it's as if he's, he's relating to him. He's seeing this deaf and, and this mute man that he feels for him. He sees the ravages of sin, whether it was personally that this death and mutinous resulted in sin, or maybe it was just because he lived in a fallen world. Jesus looks at this man and he's moved by it. He's moved by it. Then in in, uh, Luke, you guys probably know this story, Luke chapter 11, verse 33. Remember the story where his friend Lazarus, remember Mary comes and she's upset and she's weeping. And here's what the text says. The text says this, When Jesus therefore saw her Mary weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the Spirit. Now, the word behind that is actually a word that refers to an involuntary groan. He sees Mary coming, and she's weeping, and he is deeply moved. It's like he just kind of let out something involuntarily. He was moved by the sight of Mary weeping, and he was troubled. And it says, Jesus wept. I hope this is powerful for you because that's our God. Again, God is not some distant God uh, separated from what you're going through in your life, but he's deeply moved by it. He weeps over it. He feels for it. And this begged the question in my heart, that if that's my Savior and that's the one I'm to follow, then I need to ask myself some questions. I need to ask, when was the last time I felt compassion for someone? Because I I don't know about you, but I can become very hard and cold. I see a lot of stuff. I see a lot of troubles. I see ill people. And it can be very easy to get into that and it's just, it just becomes something that I've seen this before. I don't know about you, we all need to stop and ask our questions. When's the last time I felt compassion for somebody? When, when I say oh, I really 
moved? When did I sigh? When, when, when was I moved by someone because of, maybe it was a, a situation I have their own making. Maybe it was because of deformity. Maybe it was because of sinful choices they made and I see their lives ravaged by sin, but I'm moved by it because I feel for them. We need to ask ourselves that question. Jesus' compassion moved him, but it also moved him to do something because look back in the text there again. What does he do? He's just not moved by it, but he heals him. And not only does he heal him, but he touches him. And don't rush over that. Don't rush over that touch. Because here's a man with leprosy, and we do not know how long he had had leprosy, but we do not know how long he had never been touched by someone else or at least by another healthy person. And here's Jesus, the Lord, who reaches out, unworried about being unclean, but he reaches out and he touches him. Can you imagine what that spoke to that leper? Can you imagine what he felt? See, the heart of God is one of compassion. Matter of fact, Ken Hughes writes this. He says, we will never affect others as Christ did unless there is contact and identification. That is, we will never affect others as Christ did unless there is contact and identification. Oh, that's, that's powerful. Doug Nichols tells the story. Doug Nichols was a uh, missionary to India for uh, Operation Mobilization. In 1967, he contracted tuberculosis. And while in India there, he had to go to a TB sanitarium. And he thought, well, here I am, I'm going to this TB sanitarium, and perhaps you're going to use me. And this was not just a, this was not like a hospital here, okay? And he says, well, God, maybe you're going to use me. So he takes gospels with him, and he takes books, and he took the gospel of John, and he takes tracts, and he begins to go there, and he says, well, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to be used of you. And so he begins to hand these, tries to hand these out to people. People began refusing them, wouldn't take them, wouldn't take them. In fact, nobody took any of them. Doug was frustrated. Not only was he sick and weak, but here he is. Nobody would even want to talk to me about the gospel. And that's why I'm here. But one morning as he woke up at 2 a.m. in the morning, um, coughing uncontrollably, he looked over and he saw another man and he was trying to figure out what he was doing. He was, he was an older man, much more sickly than himself. And he was on the edge of the bed. And he was trying to get himself to get out of the bed and kind of push himself up. And he, he just watched him and he did that for a while. And eventually this older man just finally collapsed back in his bed, curled up in a ball, and he said he could hear a faint cry. Well, the next morning when he woke up, the smell across the sanitarium was terrible. He figured out what that man was trying to do, that he's trying to get up and go to the restroom. Well, the other patients around them began to jeer at this man and, you know, get on him because he had made the whole place smell so bad. Matter of fact, even the, uh, the nurses were, were upset and they handled the man roughly. And uh, Doug Nichols said he actually saw one nurse that slapped the man. Well, the next morning at 2 a.m., Doug woke up again for the coughing spell. And once again, he looked and he saw that man trying to get up again. And here's, here's what he wrote. 
He wrote this. He said, I, like, my, like most of you, I do not like bad smells. I didn't want to become involved. I was sick myself. But before I realized what had happened, not knowing why I did it, I got up out of my bed and went over to the old man. He was still crying and did not hear me approach. As I reached down and touched his shoulder, his eyes opened with a fearful, questioning look. I simply smiled, put my arm under his head and neck and my other arm under his legs and picked him up. Even though I was sick and weak, I was certainly stronger than he was. He was extremely light because of his old age and advanced TB. I walked down the hall to the washroom, which was really just a smelly, filthy, small room and a hole in the floor. I stood behind him with my arms under his arms, holding him so he could take care of himself. After he finished, I picked him up and carried him back to his bed. And as I began to lay him down, my face was near his face, and he moved over and he kissed me on the cheek. And it said something unrecognizable to him, but Doug just assumed that it was, thank you. Well, Doug went on back to bed. An amazing thing happened later that morning at 4 a.m. Another patient came and woke Doug up and had in his hand, had a, a, a cup of fine Indian tea and gave it to Doug. And then he started motioning to him. And as Doug figured out, he wanted one of those gospel tracks. Later that morning, other patients came and began to take Gospel of John, began to take the gospel tracks and books. Nurses and doctors actually came to him as well. And through that time, people came to know Christ. Doug Nichols writes this. He says this, What did it take to reach these people with the good news of salvation in Christ? It certainly wasn't health. It definitely wasn't the ability to speak or to give an intellectually moving discourse. Health and ability to communicate sensitively to other cultures and peoples are all very important. But what did God use to open their hearts to the gospel? I simply took an old man to the bathroom. That's why compassion is important. That puts the heart of God on display. Puts the heart of God who has compassion for people who are sick and ill and lost in their sin. It puts it on display and makes our gospel palatable to them. So how do we do this? How do we put on this heart of compassion? How do we overcome the hardness that sometimes forms on our, on our hearts. Let me just give you three things. Three things. The first is this. It's found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. It says this in Colossians 3, verse 12. So the, as those who have been chosen of God, that's us, that's us believers, holy and beloved, we're beloved by God, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. As we need to practice what's called the put-off and put-on principle of Scripture. That is, we need to identify those things in our life that have caused our hearts to become hardened or those attitudes or the actions that are contrary to the heart of God and Christ. We need to identify those things, and we need to put them off, and in their place we need to put on compassion and kindness and gentleness, the things of Christ. How do we do that? Well, one thing that we can do is just ask us questions. And what are the things that keep us from being compassionate? Here's what I identified. Pride arrogance, thinking more highly of myself. Like, I, I just don't do that. I don't take people to the bathroom. That's just not, that's not where I'm at. That's for someone else. We need to put that off. 
Or maybe it's gracelessness. Here's what I mean by that. Maybe there's those people, you know what? Those people deserve that. That was their choice. They deserve to be in that situation. Let me tell you something that straightened me out a little bit. Let me tell you some things that I deserve and you deserve as well. Hell. Right? But God bestowed grace on us through his son, Jesus Christ. And even though someone may deserve the situation that's of their own making, our calling is to be moved by compassion and to touch them and minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's just mere, purely selfishness that we need to put off. Maybe we're just too busy to do anything in compassion to anyone. Maybe that's the situation. A second thing that we need to do is, this is what I find myself needing, is we need to prayerfully walk in the Spirit. Galatians says this, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of your flesh. That is, we were never meant to live the Christian life in our own strength. Did you know you can't do it in your own strength? You can't. That's why he gave us his Holy Spirit to enable us to be able to be moved by compassion like Christ. When I went to... uh, the Christmas caroling at Jeffrey Place Nursing Home. It, it's not a nice nursing home. It's, it's not. The people there are kind and they, they care for them, but it's not a nice nursing home. And I was there. One of the first things that I ended up doing is, is uh, there was this man who couldn't really talk and he was sitting on this couch and he was trying to get up over to his, his uh, wheelchair. And so I helped pick him up along with someone else and I, uh, I put him in his, the seat. And as I'm putting him down, I noticed then he's wanting to get out of it and I'm looking and I see what happens is that he had... Uh, urinated in his pants on that couch and in that seat and over the side and I'm starting to look and like man did I step in it did I step in the urine because it was all over the floor and then there's this other occasion where there's this man named James and so I, I go over to shake his hand and he doesn't let go of your hand all right he keeps holding on all right he keeps holding on and, and I'm not a real big hugger okay and so I'm not a Thomas Aguilar and he kept hanging on to my on my hand and he wouldn't let go all right so I, I, I can give you a hug. So I give him a hug. Then, I, then he starts doing this. He starts doing his forehead, and he's like, he wanted to bump heads with me. I'm like, and then he kind of wanted to rub heads with me, and I, he's kind of like one of those things like your son might rub heads with you. But, but here's the thought that's going through my mind. Where has his head been? <laughs> then lice comes across my mind. And this kind of gets this impression, just do it. Just be all in. It's uncomfortable, though. I mean, I, I felt for these people. Like, some of them had trouble speaking and seeing. Some couldn't. And why I felt sympathy, at the same time, there is an uncomfortableness to it. Let's get honest. Right? And, and here's what I'm struggling with. Pastor, trying to love on these people, I feel the tension of uncomfortableness. I feel the tension that I, I'm ready to go. Okay? And the Lord lays on my heart, and I, I realize, Lord, and I pray, Lord, you have to enable me to love these people like you do. Because I can't. And that's where we all are, folks. We can't be moved with compassion like Christ in our own strength. We've got to depend upon the Holy Spirit. And there's another thing that helps me as well. It's this. It's remembering the compassion that Christ has for me. 
Second Corinthians 5 says this. It says, he, who made, he, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let me illustrate it this way. There was a man named Father Damien. Father Damien felt called to go to Hawaii because in Hawaii they had an outbreak of leprosy. And so here's Father Damien. It's, he's on his left, uh, on the far left there. Uh, that's when he's before he went. Uh, and then the pictures are some other pictures that happened later. But Father Damien went, and he was on this island of Hawaii where uh, he went to care for these, these individuals. And he lived with them for 16 years. He learned to speak their language. He, he bandaged their wounds. He embraced the bodies no one else would touch. He preached to the hearts that would otherwise have been left alone. He organized schools and bands and choirs. He built homes so that the lepers could have shelter. He built 2,000 coffins by hand so that when they died and they had their funeral, they could die with dignity as they were buried in a coffin. Slowly, it was said that Kalau uh, became a place to live rather than a place to die, for Father Damien offered hope. However, Father Damien was not careful about his keeping his distance. He did not did nothing to separate himself from his people. He, he dipped his finger in the poi bowl along with the patients. He shared his pipe. He did not always wash his hands. Uh, after bandaging open sores, he got close. And for this, the people loved him. Then one day he got up to give a, a sermon. And he began his sermon this way. He began his sermon with, We lepers. Because he contracted leprosy. He was now in their skin. He now felt what they felt. And he died the death that they would die. And I say this because many years ago, God came down and he took on human flesh. And he brought a message, we lepers. And it wasn't because he was sinful in any such fashion or form, but he had identified with us. He took on his, our sin. That is, he lived this life, a perfect life. He walked with us. He took, put his hands on people. He loved people. He felt for people. Then he went to that cross, and on that cross, sin, our sin, was placed upon him. And he died in our place in order that he might rise again to pour out his compassion and grace on us so that we would not have to die in our sins. That's compassion. And the compassion of Christ ought to move us to have compassion for our hurting and lost world as well. May we be moved with the compassion of Christ as we depend on the Spirit to work through us. Amen. Dear God, we come to praise you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for stories like this. Thank you for truth like this, Lord. Lord, may we walk out of this place knowing that you are not a God who is absent from our life. That you are not a God that does not know what we feel. Know what we go through. But you're a God who walks among us, Lord. That put on human flesh. That bore our sin for us, Lord. That you are close. You're compassionate. Lord, we thank you.
Lord, I pray that if there's an unbeliever here today who's never put their faith and trust in the person and work of Christ, that today might be the day that they repent and put their faith and trust in the person and work of Christ alone. And then, Lord, may you move in us believers that we might be a people that will be moved with compassion, that in our actions we might show the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we might also share the gospel of Jesus Christ for your glory and your honor. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.